Hey, Mai. Greetings and salutations. How are you doing today? I'm very, very happy to be here on your podcast. Yeah, welcome to our podcast, Exploring Life's Highway. Uh, could you please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Gladly. So my name is Mai Westerlund, and I'm studying at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. I study religious studies and philosophy, and I am doing research right now as to what is the origin of human suffering. Uh, all right, uh, that sounds very interesting. Uh, you have developed a theory about the region of human suffering and the potential solution. Would you care about, uh, to share uh, with us about the theory? Uh, gladly. So if we want to understand the problem of human suffering and its origin, we have to go back 70,000 years ago. Now, I know that sounds like a long time ago, but bear with me. Uh, it makes sense eventually. So there is a very famous and renowned scholar uh, when it comes to history and biology these days. His name is Yuval Harari. And he published about, I think it was 10, 15 years ago, a book called Sapiens, in which he brings this new idea uh, as to why humans are so different from other animals. Um, if you haven't noticed, humans do share traits that, uh, they do share traits with other animals, but when it comes to uh, uh Our cognitive abilities to imagine and speak and think, animals don't have the levels that we have. So let me start in the beginning, as, as they say. So according to the theory of evolution by uh, Darwin and then later on uh, uh, um, elaborated on by uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, changes in the, in, in the animal kingdom, we could call it, happen very gradually. So, for example, when cheetahs became faster, uh, then gazelles and antelopes became more agile uh, and elephants became bigger. So you have checks and balances in nature. But 70,000 years ago, something very bizarre took place. So up to 70,000 years ago, we have evidence that every time that Homo sapiens encountered uh, Neanderthals, they essentially kicked our asses, mm-hmm. the Neanderthals. Uh, it's not surprising, considering the fact that Neanderthals are physically uh, more robust and that their, their brain was actually slightly larger than ours. Um, so it makes sense that whenever we encountered them, Homo sapiens, when we encountered uh, uh, Neanderthals and also Homo erectus, they would have the advantage. But then suddenly, quite, quite, uh, quite drastically and, and without preparation, it seems, Uh, around 70,000 years ago, whenever we look at times that Neanderthals encountered Homo sapiens, we absolutely obliterated them out of existence quite, quite quickly. Um, and not only them, but Homo erectus and, and different kinds of, of uh, hominins and humanoids that inhabited the world. Um, not only that, you start finding evidence of art on caves. You start finding snares in nature for uh, uh, capturing various animals. You find spears, you find arrows. Something drastically changed 70,000 years ago that completely defies the theory of evolution. Now, what could that be exactly? So according to the book uh, Sapiens by uh, Yuval Harari, uh, it was essentially a genetic mutation that we call, uh, well, uh, it led to the phenomena that we call the cognitive revolution. So what does that mean? In nature, we have a lot of genetic mutations that affect a lot of things. If you've ever seen somebody with blue eyes, 
somebody ginger, somebody with a tail, uh, somebody affected by dwarfism and any other anomaly, that's a genetic mutation. Mm -hmm. So we don't know why it happened 70,000 years ago. We don't know why Homo sapiens were the ones that uh, were affected by this mutation and not, for example, meerkats or a mammoth. But 70,000 years ago, and let me stress that this is a theory that I'm bringing, right? It's quite the popular theory right now among scholars, but it's in a world of, of dogmatism, it's important for me to stress that this is uh, a theory and it's not irrefutable science um, and it should be viewed as such, despite the fact that I support this theory. So 70,000 years ago, there was a homo sapien. Let's call him Jeff. I like the name Jeff. So imagine in Africa 70,000 years ago, there's born a baby called Jeff. And that baby is born with a very strange genetic mutation that allows him to think in terms of future, past, imagination, and so on and so forth. Uh, this phenomenon is called MTT in psychology. MTT stands for, it's an acronym for mental time travel. What's that mean? It means that I can, I can be very stressed um, and anxious as a human being about some events that haven't uh, taken place yet and maybe will never take place. So for example, I'm worried now that I won't have enough money for my mortgage or when I retire. This is MTT. It's a sort of a hallucination. Why? Because maybe I will never even come to the point that I have to deal with that. Maybe I die tomorrow. But it can create a physical response in the sense that I can be stressed now and have the mechanism of fight or flight uh, active, activated just because of my thoughts about the future. I can also be annoyed now that some average Joe Schmo five years ago called me a moron. Animals don't have this as far as we know. But this goes to a larger extent. Also, when we think about death, we have an understanding what is death. When I look at a dead body, when you look at the dead body, you know that one day this will be you. So this is MTT, and it brings a lot of uh, biological advantages, which is why we took over the world. So, for example, Jeff, 70,000 years ago, was able to connect the dots and say, okay, in the summer it's very dry, we don't have any water, so in the winter let's dig a, a pond, and collect water. And if every Sunday the, the mammoths run next to the cliff, we can ambush them uh, and scare them off and we're going to have food for a month. So this was a very beneficial thing uh, for, for the survival of the species. And then, surprisingly enough, Jeff became the alpha male, naturally. Uh, and as it goes in nature, the alpha male tends to be the one procreating. And then you have his kids also carrying the same genetic mutation, MTT, and in a few generations, every single human being is now Homo sapiens sapiens instead of Homo sapiens. And I'm not inventing the term, it actually exists. Um, so what does this mean? It means that humans took over the world rapidly, which is supposed to be a good thing. But then we had the curse of the MTT, uh, which meant, yeah, we were able to, you know, defeat our enemies. But you're constantly worried about the future. You're constantly engrossed in the past. You're constantly obsessing the, the, the fact that you don't know why you're here, what to do with yourself, what's the meaning of life, what happens after death. It's terrifying. Uh, but also the question of what other people think about me. How does my hair look like today? Uh, what did Samantha say about me? This existed already 70,000 years ago, but it doesn't exist in nature uh, in that sense. And this is the main issue that we have with MTT. Uh, so this, this incredible phenomena um, that occurred back then had immense ramifications in the sense that we took over the world, but we became incredibly miserable. Um, and this this would be the beginning of the story of why we as humans suffer. 
That's actually very interesting. So uh, basically you claim that uh, religion was created as a response to MTT. That's right? Indeed. So the way I see it, and let me just stress that until this point, I was quoting uh, Harari's theory, and it's not only his theory. There's a lot of people who propagate this, this perspective, namely Hans uh, Henning and, and his brother. I forgot his name. I think his name is Mark Henning. Uh, anyhow... So, so the point being is that from henceforth, I'm going to talk about my personal theory, my view, but up to this point, it was his or their uh, uh, perspective. And I don't want you to think that from henceforth, I'm talking their, on their behalf, I'm talking on my behalf. Um, so essentially, the way I see it is that religion was created um, as a coping mechanism with, uh, to deal with, with the problem of MTT. So... Since the change happened so rapidly that suddenly we had MTT to deal with, uh, with all its ramifications, then we had to have a coping mechanism because we were afraid of death, of the fact that we, have, we don't know why we're here and how to deal with this planet, uh, with this life. So essentially what we have, imagine that Jeff's uh, grandchild, let's call him, uh, I don't know, let's call him Mike, okay? So Mike was sitting in the savannah. Um, and he was sitting in the morning and he was petrified. He was thinking, what happens after death? This is so scary. And what happens if a tiger will come and eat me? And, the, the, and, and uh, for example, I don't know, his cousin in the tribe is also angry at him and something. There's so much to deal with, so much anxiety. Uh, but then, then actually Mike has this, this sort, of, sort of epiphany in a sense. He sits there and envision that he's sitting there. The sun is coming up in the morning. And he realizes... Oh, be jeepers. All of the solutions to all of my problems lie in the sun, for example. Uh, he realizes that when the sun comes up in the morning, all the, the, the life, life essentially wakes up. All the birds come, all the bees, and it's safe. You know, all the tigers and bears and, and wolves that are, you know, scary in the night. He doesn't have to worry about them at all. And... Um, The night is cold, which is also, you know, quite unfortunate if you're living in a cave 70,000 years ago. Uh, sun essentially means life. So it was only a question of time before a religion would revolve around the sun. Because that's the coping mechanism for dealing with the problem of MTT. So Mike can easily say, okay, everything good comes from the sun. I understand that. So if I please the sun, there's a good chance that good things will happen to me. So his, the purpose of his life, what gave Mike... meaning in his life was the sun sun gives me food and warmth and safety so it was very easy to say that okay uh, if, if that's the case then you know sun gives me purpose uh it gives me everything that i need let's worship the sun and then religion was created as a coping mechanism with with uh, for the, the mtt problem um and that's very important because religion developed later on to answer other Uh, problematic questions such as what's happening after death uh, but this is something that we can talk about in greater length uh, later on that's very very interesting uh, to hear this perspective uh, on why humans are so different from other animals and how uh, religion developed that's been said uh, I want to ask you what you have described is the beginning of uh, human suffering but how does it affect uh, humans today in our secular uh, western world Uh, you claim that humans today are more miserable than ever before. Indeed. So let's jump ahead to the 1700s and 1800s. Essentially what happened is that after tens of thousands of years in which 
religion was our weapon against MTT. It gave us community. Because at the end of the day, we're a social animal, whether we like it or not. What is important for a social animal in order to be happy and secure? You need community. You need a sense of purpose. You need to feel that you're safe and that you're loved. Religion provided us humans <clears throat> sorry, with that throughout history. The problem began that in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, essentially what happened is that people understood that, okay, uh, this is very corrupt. The, the religious institution, uh, we're talking about the West, so we're talking about Christianity, is incredibly corrupt, um, and it's very irrational. It doesn't make any sense. As soon as science was on the rise, religion was on the decline. So it's understandable why we as humans would say bye-bye uh, to religion. The problem therein lies in the fact that we lost something that was detrimental, detrimental in the sense that, okay, religion was corrupt and it was ruining our lives in many ways, uh, but it was also our mechanism for coping with MTT and we threw it down, down the, we flushed it down the drain, essentially. Uh, the problem was, was then that we replaced this with a worse uh, uh, religion, with, with, with a worse faith system. What do I mean by that? I claim that every person uh, adheres to a certain uh, faith, and I'm saying faith and not religion, because even if you believe that, you know, if, even if you're a nihilist and you believe that life has no meaning, that there's no God, um, and that we will all decay, and so on and so forth, you choose to believe in something uh, based on things that make sense to you. Now, when I say that we replace the old religion with a lousy religion, I will explain what I mean by that. The new religion in the West, it's not that new, it's been here for the past 80 years, has been consumerism and materialism. Now, what does that mean? It means that the new God is the God of, of purchasing things in order to be happy. Uh, now, what they tell us in the West is that, in the secular West, is that if you want to be happy, if you want to have a meaningful life, you need to have the newest phone, the fanciest car, the biggest house, the most expensive watch, and the list goes on and on. Now... This has changed a bit in the sense that now uh, they're telling us, okay, if, if you go on enough vacations and you get enough likes on Instagram, that's your new meaning of life. All of this, in my idea, is in my view, is malarkey. It's drivel. It doesn't make any sense. Why? Because none of this answers the core issues. And the issues are that humans need to have uh, assurance that they are loved, that there is a sense of community, that there is a sense of purpose, and that there is a reassuring uh, answer to what happens after death. Consumerism and materialism gives us none of that, absolutely nothing. And more than that, a lot of us cannot achieve what this religion or, or mentality is propagating. A lot of us will not be the richest, the most handsome, the most famous. And the tragic story is here that a lot of us discover that when we're 40 and we feel that we're, we've been cheated on, you know, uh, they tell us that, you know, if you're going to achieve all these things, if you're going to, you know, uh, work your ass off. It's something that you don't even like, but you're going to have all that money and you can, you know, uh, uh, basically flaunt all these things that you bought, then that's going to give you meaning. And a lot of people achieve that and they realize that they've been cheated. Like this, this doesn't give you any sense of satisfaction and meaning in life. It's not community. It's not love. It's not reassuring. And this is something that's important that, that it will be said. Now, old religion had its flaws, but at least it provided us with these basic things that that the new religion of consumerism and materialism does not provide at all. And even sadder is that a lot of people <clears throat> don't even 
achieve these things and then they go on feeling like they're losers and that they failed but those who achieve these things also like the, the very top the top five uh, percent in hollywood the famous the the rich the successful they have the highest rates of depression and suicide so i think it just might be that this new religion really really sucks to when it comes to providing us with the basic purpose of what religion is all about to begin with um and i think this is something that's not being called out enough i agree with you that uh, eventually all that we need is a little love what brings me to the next question uh, could you please uh, tell me uh, would you claim that uh, the we the people of the secular west uh, we should return to the corrupted religious uh, institutions uh, this is the solution in your opinion Not necessarily. So what I claim here is that since each and every one of us has a faith system, whether we like to admit it or not, we have the choice of whether to believe in something negative or something positive. I call this theory positive illusion versus negative illusion. Uh, sorry, positive uh, faith versus negative faith. You could call it illusion, actually, um, because we don't know that any of this is a fact. Um, it's all theories. And why am I saying this? Let's, let's use an example, okay? Let's say that I'm a nihilist, I'm an atheist, and, and my religion is science, okay? So I go around saying nothing has meaning. Um, I'm always stressed about things. So there's no comfort in that. Because imagine that the Christian or the Muslim or the Jew, whatever you want to uh, call it, doesn't really matter, but... Uh, The, the secular person, the, the atheist, the nihilist would say their religion is drivel, okay? Um, and therefore it's null and void. But what if, you know, the, the, the problem is that we humans are very arrogant creatures. We think that we have all the answers, but science is always really relevant only to its time. If you went 300 years ago in Europe and you told someone that 65 million years ago, gargantuan lizards roamed the planet and they called... They were called dinosaurs. They would laugh in your face. Who knows, 300 years from now, what science will prove. So my point is, when somebody chooses to believe in something that gives them absolutely no tools to deal with the problem of MTT, which is the issue with atheists and nihilists and anyone secular, to be honest, um, is that we're purposefully choosing a negative faith system that makes us unhappy. It doesn't answer community, love, love. Uh, what happens after death purpose it doesn't answer any of that but because it's it's reasonable it's 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 a reasonable solution we accept that I claim that the Christian is happier than that person the Muslim is happier than that person because it doesn't matter when they die whether they go to heaven or worms eat them in their graves At the end of the day they have a community and they don't have to fear death and they have a sense of purpose and that's what I'm saying it's very important to have a positive faith. I'm still not saying that you have to go back to institutionalized religion because that's not the solution as we've seen on a large scale when religion rules the world it's awful you look at the at the Crusades you look at, at you know uh, certain areas with Sharia law that's not what I'm saying first and foremost my solution would be uh, mind your own business that, that I think it's a good um, it's a good kind of motto for life in general uh, look for the one faith that makes sense to you individually and And faith does not necessarily mean religion, but please do you know try and find a positive faith and not a negative faith and I reiterate faith and not religion 
Uh, well, uh, do you have any theoretical example as uh, to why having a positive faith, as you mentioned, is, is so important to us? Yes, I like to call it the example of George and Bob. So imagine that there's two, two guys called George and Bob. They're both from Boston, for example. They're both high school students. Uh, they go to the same school and they have the very same dream. Their dream is to become engineers. That's what they want to do. Now, George is religious. He's a Christian. It doesn't matter which uh, denomination. I'm choosing Christian because it's America. That's it. Uh, and Bob is an atheist. Okay? They both have the same dream to become an engineer. The night before their A-level exams, it's the big, big exam that's going to decide whether they can go and become engineers or at least study to become engineers in, in university. Bob, the atheist, is petrified the night before the exam. You know why? Because he thinks, I have to be an engineer. If I don't pass this exam, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to do a, a job that I hate all my life. It's not going to be a proper career. And then no girl will want me because I'm going to be a loser. And I'm going to hate every day because I have to spend eight hours doing something I don't like. And he gets so stressed and aggravated that he can't even sleep one minute that, that night. And guess what happens the next day when he actually attends the exam? He fails because he collapses under the anxiety and the stress. Anxiety and the stress, it's important to say it. And it's not a normal phenomena. And we have to address it as it is. And it's a disease. When you look in nature, uh, animals have stress and anxiety. It's called fight or flight. But an animal does not live in a constant fear of 24-7 of being afraid of a tiger that would attack you if you're a gazelle. No, you're chilling in the fields, but you have very, very sharp senses. And when you hear something, you run and you're stressed and you come down again. Uh, there's a very beautiful example by Eckhart Tolle in his book, I think it was The Power of Now, where he says that a duck can go fight another duck very uh, fiercely. Uh, but five minutes afterwards, uh, it's over. They don't spend the next year thinking, man, that other duck, He's such a prick. It doesn't work like that in the animal kingdom. So as humans, when we have to deal with stress and anxiety constantly, that really, um, it's, very, it's very detrimental for the brain. And therefore, it's not, it's not a surprise that Bob fails his exam. But when you look at George, George is a Christian. And when I say Christian, and again, it could be Muslim, it could be Jewish, it could be whatever. Um, it's important to, to stress that this has to be someone who's 100% committed to his faith. Because if you're only saying that you're religious and you have your doubts, then, then you lose all the point here, that the entire point is, is, is missed out on. Why? Because George sleeps like a baby the day before his exam. Why is that? Think about it. He knows Jesus loves me. Jesus, Jesus cares about me. So if I'm supposed to become an engineer, he's going to make sure that I'm going to pass this exam. But if not, he has a plan for me. And, he, and, and George knows he has this community of support, you know, his Christian community and people who love him and care about him. And he knows that Jesus loves him and cares about him. So with that in mind, he knows that even if he's not going to become an engineer, Jesus has a plan for him. He has meaning. You know what I'm saying? And um, he sleeps like a baby and he aces his exam, you know, and he becomes an engineer. But this continues in life. You know, Bob has to go through this life always thinking, Am I good enough? You know, a lot of people have problems with, with their uh, appearances. And, and that's very understandable in the society that we live in. Uh, but I think that somebody, I had this discussion with a Christian monk, and he told me, I don't care about how I look like. I never did. I asked him, how, how so? And he said, I know that God loves me the way I am. Isn't that magnificent? Somebody that just knows that he is loved constantly. So the cynical would say he's hallucinating. There's no God. There's no Jesus that loves him. I would claim that's not the point. You're missing out on the point. 
since you cannot know what the absolute truth is, the Christian monk in this case, or George, have such strength and power to deal with this life simply because they have a positive faith. Anyway, so this continues throughout life, and George has the community, Bob doesn't have the community. Bob has to worry about, you know, am I good enough? Am I good-looking enough? Uh, why am I here? I need to find a purpose every morning that I wake up in the morning as Bob. You know, George doesn't need to find purpose. He has purpose. It's, it's Jesus. That's his purpose. And the most beautiful thing is when Bob thinks about, uh, when George thinks about death, he says, whatever happens in life, worst case scenario, I go to heaven. Heaven is a great place, you know, just because I believe in Jesus. So even if I have a difficult life, heck, I'm going to be in heaven. And that confidence allows you to perform in life. So much better than Bob, who has to be so petrified about death, about having a lack of meaning, and so on and, uh, and so forth in that sense. That's actually amazing when you think about it this deep. Uh, but I want to hear from your own, <coughs> sorry, uh, from your own uh, personal uh, perspective. Uh, could you give me an example of when you have used uh, positive faith yourself? Of course. So... I, I, I was playing with this theory for a while, and then I decided one time to implement it, and it was very it was very spontaneous. So in my bachelor's, I had this very nasty exam. It's called bachelor's exam. And essentially, you have to stand in front of a committee of professors. And in order to prepare, they give you a thousand pages of material for nine different subjects, and you don't know what they're going to ask you. You have no idea. And I was studying for weeks. But when something is not interesting to me and <laughs> that, that, that topic, that, that subject and the, the entire degree that I did, my bachelor's degree was not interesting to me. I was sitting for weeks studying, 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 but I was like, I, I cannot memorize a thousand different pages. Like it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. There's no way. And I was stressing out like there's no tomorrow. And my friends, I wasn't unique in that sense. My friends were also very, very worried. Um, because some people are very good at memorizing, you know, material, and then it's fine. But I wasn't. And for weeks and weeks on, I was studying and studying and studying. To no avail, I was still not memorizing half of what I needed to remember. Um, and then it, it was a day before the exam. And really, I had like the most stressful three weeks of my life. I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. Um, it was very unpleasant. And then a day before that, I said, enough is enough. It's time for me to implement what I've been working on. Um, for 23 or well, 22 years at the time for 22 years i was a slave to mtt i was always thinking about the worst case scenario what could go wrong in the exam what if they ask me this what if they ask me that i said this this brought me nowhere i'm unhappy let's try something new for once in my life let's try something new let's try to implement positive faith and i simply decided as a fact that i am going to pass that exam it's going to go great And I realized I have to dedicate all of my energy at that moment, not to being worried, but to being confident that it's going to be okay. And when you channel all of your essence and all of your energy and all of, of your efforts to that, it makes a difference. You know, you have this theory of, um, how do they call it? Um, when, the law when of you... attraction. It's not the law of attraction. It's manifestation, manifestation of reality. Yeah. So, so you have this theory that it's based on quantum physics. It hasn't been proven, but it's an interesting theory that if you uh, meditate in a certain way and you think in a certain way and, and you send energy in a certain way, you're going to get everything you want in life, which is a very, it's a very big statement to make. Uh, very, very big statement, quite ostentatious. Um, 
But the thing is that I realized with positive faith is that in positive faith, you don't have to believe in anything uh, uh, like that. Because the problem with Christianity, Islam, and manifesting reality is that it's based on things that are considered irrational. And let me explain why positive faith is different in that sense. Um, so, so essentially, I, I, I accepted fully that I'm going to pass the exam. And I had a very good 24 hours before the exam. And then I went to the exam. And lo and behold, I had no idea what the, what the answer was to the question. The committee, I stood in front of the committee, they're all staring at me, and they asked me, what is the vampire effect in marketing? Even today, I, have, I still have no clue what is the vampire effect in marketing. Um, so normal my, under the enslavement of the MTT, would start shaking, being nervous, stuttering, and thinking, gosh, the worst thing that could have happened, happened. I am standing in front of these professors, and I have no idea what is the answer. But since this time, I was operating hand-in-hand uh, hand with positive faith instead of negative faith, it turned out being completely different. Because I spent the past 24 hours before that being completely assured that it's going to be okay, that I was very confident. So I just started yammering about marketing in general. I was going in circles about marketing. And then the, the teacher stopped me midway. I had seven minutes to speak. I had to speak for seven minutes. And she says... My, you're obviously avoiding the question, what is the vampire effect? But I was still so confident due to the positive faith uh, uh, method, uh, if you will, or theory, that I, I was confident enough to tell her, listen, uh, I respect marketing. I value marketing. If you value marketing like me, you know that you have to understand what marketing really is before you address the vampire effect. Um, because I take this seriously. I'm, I'm giving you an, an overview of marketing. And she said, okay, I can't argue with that. And then I went on and I yammered on and on about uh, marketing, ignoring the vampire effect. And they said, thank you, the time was out. And then I went out. They called me back after 20 minutes to give me my grade. I thought I had failed, actually, um, because it was the first time I had practiced positive faith and I had realized, okay, I didn't say the right thing. I didn't know the answer. They gave me an A+. Plus. You know why? Because they said, this is, this is business school. And you proved that you know how to deal with a stressful situation uh, in an appropriate manner. And that was the day that I realized that positive faith is different. You know why? Because manifesting your reality would mean that I would have gotten exactly the question that I wanted um, because I was manifesting uh, this sort of reality. That did not happen. That did not work. I did not get the question that I wanted. But because the positive faith gave me the strength to deal with this uh, uh, predicament, I could actually have better tools to cope with it. And this is appropriate to every realm of, of, of life. For example, now, um, I would like to be a professor in two years, uh, start a PhD. Now, I have two choices. I could spend the next two years worrying about it, whether I'm going to get a PhD or not. You know, it's, it's very rare that you actually get into a PhD. Um, or I could spend the next two years uh, being with the faith that either I'm for sure going to become a professor or having this general faith in the universe that whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. And you know what's the difference? Is that instead of spending two years being completely anxious and scared and afraid, I'm going to be relaxed and confident. <clears throat> Why is this important? Because two years from now, when I actually have to have the moment to deal with that question of whether I'm going to become a professor or not, I'm going to address it with confidence, with being relaxed, without anxiety, because of, these, of this exact uh, uh, positive faith uh, 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 theory. And that's a beautiful thing, my friend, is that each and every one of us has to understand that the key to our happiness and suffering lies not in external situations. 
and circumstances. It lies in our mind. And I'm not saying this is easy. I myself am not a guru. I have my hardships in life. But I think it's so important to understand that we're suffering because of MTT. The modern Western society is problematic on many ways. It's not the solution for, for our problems. It's not the key to happiness. But if you have the right kind of faith, and I have my own faith system that I'm not going to elaborate about here because the point here is not being dogmatic. It's saying you have an opportunity here to find a faith that works for you. If you say to me, my, I'm a secular person and the religions of the world make no sense to me, uh, I can respect that and I can relate to that. But that doesn't mean that there are no faith systems, not religions that couldn't work. People think Judaism, uh, Christianity and Islam, there are thousands of different philosophies in the world. You just have to find something that works for you. And uh, that was my uh, very long <laughs> discussion about why humans suffer, why it happens in our minds, and why having a positive faith rather than a negative faith. And a negative faith is something that all of us have in the West, all the secular people have in the West, is what can actually save this life from being wasted. Uh, and this is something that I sincerely uh, believe in. And thank you so much, Omri, for uh, offering, me, offering me this opportunity to talk about this. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, this is what we call in our podcast, uh, live in the present moment, be aware of the present moment, live today, today, and etc., etc. Thank you, Mai, very much uh, for sharing your insight with us today. It's been a real uh, pleasure uh, to host you here and exploring together the journey of uh, life's highway. Uh, see you all in our next episode and have a great one. Thank you, Mai. Thank you.